Hey everyone, Mundo here. If you would like to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash crimeandcourtusa. Yo, what's up everyone, and welcome to episode 30 of Crime and Court USA, recording this on December 8th, 2021. I'm your host, Mundo Carrillo, your boy Moondog. Hope you guys are doing well. We're in that, uh, we're in that holiday slump, aren't we guys? There's like that period between Thanksgiving and New Year's where, I don't know, I just feel like we're all collectively kind of lazy, <laughs> right? Like no one really wants to work during this time. We're all like in that holiday mood. You know what I mean? Everyone is just seems to be baking shit. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Everyone's, you know, just not really watching their diets. Even I baked some cookies the, the other day. I've never baked cookies in my life and I made cookies. That's how, that's how out of control it's getting. You know, I think that's why People make so many New Year's resolutions, you know what I mean? Like, New Year, new me. It's because we all got fat and <laughs> just, we were fat and lazy over the last two months. So we, we make these resolutions to push ourselves forward, you know, lose some weight, get some career goals because we slacked off <laughs> over the last month or so. Yeah, we'd all just want this year to be over, don't we? It's a weird one. 2021 was a weird one, baby. Anyways, I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you guys are productive. If you even felt like it was a little slower on the crime front this last week, the biggest news I'd say is the uh, parents of the Michigan school shooting suspect being charged with manslaughter. And a prosecutor up there in Michigan has also suggested that school officials could face charges over how prior incidents involving the alleged shooter, that's 15-year-old Ethan Crumley, were handled prior to the shooting. We'll, We'll get into that in just a sec. Interesting timeline of events there. But first, James and Jennifer Crumley are each charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. That's one count for every victim that who was killed by their son, allegedly, when Ethan opened fire at the Oxford High School campus in Pontiac, Michigan last week. District Attorney Karen McDonald said the gun was stored in an unlocked drawer in the Crumley's bedroom. And she also said that the gun was bought for Ethan and that he was present when it was purchased Four days before the shooting. The Crumleys actually missed their arraignment late last week and were arrested after they were uh, found hiding out in a commercial building in Detroit. So they are now in custody. Honestly, I doubt that they would have been put in jail if they just would have went to their arraignment. I feel like they would just would have, because uh, I don't think they have any criminal history or anything. I, I would imagine the judges would have let them out and just told them not to miss a court hearing or whatever. But because they uh, skipped out on the arraignment, they're uh, now in jail. So uh, so there you go. So let's go over this uh, very interesting timeline of events and why school officials might possibly get charged as well. On November 29th, which was the day before the shooting, Ethan got in trouble for using his cell phone to search for ammunition. Jennifer, his mother, then texted him and said that she wasn't mad that he got in trouble, but that he needs to learn how to get caught. So I should preface this by saying that this whole timeline was given to us by the prosecutor, Karen McDonald. So the following, so again, this now the day before the shooting, so the day of the shooting. The Crumleys were summoned to the school that morning after a teacher found a troubling note in Ethan's desk. It was a drawing of a handgun with the words, quote, 
the thoughts won't stop, help me, end quote. And there was another drawing with the blood that said blood everywhere. The parents never brought up the gun during the meeting. And I don't believe uh, the school officials knew about it. So it just, the gun just never came up and Ethan's backpack was never searched. Now, according to McDonald, the Crumleys were resistant to take Ethan out of school. I think that was suggested. I think it was also suggested that he see a therapist within 48 hours. They were resistant of that. So Ethan was sent back to class and the first 911 calls about the shooting came in about three hours after that. Once the news broke out, Jennifer then texted Ethan and said, Ethan, don't do it. James Crumley, after he found out that there was a shooting at the school, he went home, found that the gun was missing, and then he called 911 and said that his son might be the shooter. In Michigan, it's not required for gun owners to keep the guns locked up or to keep them away from children, so that's probably why they're not being charged with any kind of gun charges, just the involuntary manslaughter charges. I imagine just arguing that their actions led to the, uh, to the deaths of these four young people. The Crumleys could also face federal charges for buying the gun and giving it to Ethan because it is illegal to buy a gun and give it to someone else. It's called a straw purchase. Of course, you do need to be qualified to buy a gun. You have to be of legal age and you can't be a convicted felon. You have to be a citizen, I believe, as well. There, there, are, some, there, there are some hoops you got to go through. But uh, yeah, so it's illegal to buy a gun for someone else because, you know, you got to make sure they're selling a gun to the right person. So Ethan is facing 24 counts. The, those include terrorism charges and first degree murder charges. So yeah, I think I, I kind of mentioned this last week. It seems like it's going to be a trend to go after parents who allow their kids to uh, get their hands on some guns that they own and commit shootings. As I said last week, there was a school shooting in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. A kid fired a gun in a hallway, didn't hit anybody, and his parents were charged with crimes. And I think that now in New Mexico, it is, you know, there are tougher laws on parents when their kids commit crimes with guns. And I think more states are probably going to adopt laws like that. Everyone's always asking the question of how do we address school shootings? And I think this is probably one of the solutions. I don't know. We'll see if it works, but this seems to be a trend that's been going on across the country. We'll see what Michigan does. Um, I imagine, you know, this is, this is a big deal. This is the first shooting in a, in a few years. So it's getting a lot of attention. So yeah, I, I imagine the state lawmakers will get together and pass some sort of law that'll make it a crime for parents to keep their guns unlocked. So yeah, all the Crumleys are in, are in custody right now. We'll see how this case moves forward. Okay, so I've also been keeping my eye on the uh, Jesse Smollett trial. He's the uh, former Empire actor. He was accused of filing false police reports of a racially motivated attack in Chicago that took place a few years ago, actually back in 2019. Yeah, he actually testified on his own behalf. I, I wish I would have seen that, but I didn't, so... All right, so some background on that one. If you don't, if you don't remember that shit show, uh, so back in 2019, Smollett said he was walking around late night in Chicago. This is January 2019 when it's apparently freezing balls in Chicago. <laughs> uh, he was walking around and uh, he was uh, randomly attacked by two men wearing MAGA hats who make America Great Again hats, the, the Donald Trump hats. You, you guys know the freaking hats. And they were yelling racial and homophobic slurs at him. Smollett is, of course, uh, black and uh, homosexual. So homophobic racial attack. He filed the police report and he was later charged and is believed to have faked the whole thing because he was unhappy with the situation at work. He is facing six counts of disorderly conduct, which those counts do carry prison time, but people don't really think he's going to serve any prison time if he's convicted. He might just be 
placed on probation and had to perform community service, stuff like that. So initially, prosecutors were saying that he was unhappy about his salary, but during the trial, they said that he was unhappy with how the studio dealt with a threatening letter that he got. So now we go to their <laughs> allegations about the attack. They say that he paid these two brothers to fake beat him up. One of them, Abin Bola Asundaro, which I... Not too sure if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, he testified last week that Smollett asked him to fake beat him up and yell racial slurs at him. Osundaro said he felt like he owed it to Smollett to do it because he felt like Smollett could help him with his acting career. And also that he just owed it to him. He, he said that Smollett was like a brother to him. Apparently they worked out and did some drugs together. You know, just bro, bro stuff like that. You know what I mean? Smollett had previously said that they had a sexual relationship, but this guy, Asundaro, denied that and says that he saw Smollett more like a brother. So (laughs) on Monday, Smollett did testify, and he described the attack as something out of Looney Tunes, the cartoon. He kind of doubled down on what he had said back in the day. He said two men attacked him, hurled racial and homophobic slurs at him, poured bleach on him, and put a noose around his neck. That's all the stuff that he said, uh, back in January 2019 as well. And I believe the jury is actually deliberating today, or they're going to start deliberating at some point today. So we'll we'll get a verdict on that one very soon. Again, probably no prison time, but uh, I probably won't be able to work in Hollywood (laughs) ever again. Uh, In fact, he was fired from Empire after he was charged. So yeah, he might be blacklisted from Hollywood. Either way, even if he's not found guilty, I don't know if he'll be able to find work again. You know, I actually liked Empire, too. The first season, anyhow, I thought once the second season came around, it kind of started getting repetitive, but it was a good show. He was good in it, I think. That's the first show, where that's the first thing I ever saw Taraji P. Henson in, and I was like, this lady can act. She's going to be a beast. And sure enough, she's kind of a star right now, so good for her. But uh, yeah, I actually kind of like the show, at least in its first season. It sucks that it kind of went down this way. <laughs> again, guilty or innocent, I don't know if this guy will ever act again, but... uh yeah. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I I will keep you guys posted. All right, let's move on to the Rust shooting. Just got to have our weekly Rust shooting update. So Alec Baldwin said in an interview with ABC News, a shocking interview. I personally didn't expect a big interview like that. Anyways, he said in an interview with George Stephanopoulos of ABC News that he didn't pull the trigger on the gun that killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the set of Rust in New Mexico in October. But gun experts have been saying in various media reports that uh, guns uh, like that, like the 45 revolver that he fired, rarely fire without the trigger being pulled. Legal experts also say it was a risky move. It's usually ill-advised when someone's charged with a crime. Usually they don't really talk or under the advice of their lawyers. You know, I don't know if Alec said anything. I just referred to him as Alec like we're freaking friends or something. But uh, it didn't seem like he said anything like incriminating or anything that might be risky. I didn't actually watch the interview because I didn't think I had to. I mean, I think the only thing that came out of it was him saying that he didn't pull the trigger, which, of course, like he said that. And I think he, he has maintained that this whole time anyways according to like law enforcement reports and stuff like that but yeah he also i mean he's a defendant in a lawsuit at least one lawsuit i believe and there is a criminal investigation going on so i would think it would be ill-advised for him to give an interview on national television but again i don't know if actually anything dangerous baldwin did say during this interview that he cocked the gun and released the hammer but never pulled the trigger and assistant director dave halls backs up baldwin dave halls is the assistant director on the on the film who uh, 
who handed Baldwin the gun and yelled, cold gun, reportedly, even though the gun, of course, had a live round in it and was not cold at all. Cold means that there was no live ammunition in it. ABC News made a big deal of the interview. It was like on Hulu the next day, like on the top of the page and all that. I don't, I don't know if anything shocking came out of there, but uh, good for ABC News, I guess. I guess their ratings were probably did decent that day. So don't know nothing new on the uh, criminal investigations. I know law enforcement, the Santa Fe County Sheriff's Office is looking into it. The uh, DA is still involved in the investigation. Civil suits, you know, those are going to take a while to play out. So those are probably still pending. But uh, as far as the criminal and court stuff, doesn't look like there's anything new to report there. But there is, you know, I'll keep you guys posted. All right, let's move on. Do you guys remember Scott Peterson? He was resentenced from the death penalty to life in prison. He, of course, was convicted of killing his wife, Lacey, and their unborn son back in 2002. So last year, the California Supreme Court overturned that death penalty sentence because the judge who presided over the trial wrongly discharged jurors who said they were against the death penalty but would be willing to impose it anyways. Uh, That's kind of tricky. Just some, like, legal gobbledygook. You know, they're, like, to me trials seem very sensitive like you gotta there's a certain process you gotta follow and you can't really you know screw anything up really even like the smallest thing to some people so like i've seen like toll cases get dismissed because like the district attorney didn't inform the grand jury right or something like that so this seems kind of one of those instances where the judge just did something procedurally wrong and the state supreme court in California wrote that uh, that those errors by the trial judge led to Peterson not having an impartial jury at the sentencing phase. So there is like a separate jury or a separate phase, I guess, where the jury determines uh, if you receive the death penalty or not. That's usually the case in most states. Like there's a trial and then there's a conviction and then that same jury will then hear arguments about whether or not they should sentence you to the death penalty. So just to refresh on that case, prosecutors said Peterson strangled or suffocated Lacey around Christmas Eve 2002. He later wrapped her body in a tarp, took her out on a boat on the San Francisco Bay, affixed anchors to her body and dumped her in the bay. Her body washed ashore uh, about four months later. She was found in an area where Peterson admitted that he was fishing the day that she disappeared. He was arrested after a massage therapist who said she was dating Peterson about a month before Lacey's death. She told police that Peterson told her that his wife was dead. So he was arrested after that, and he was convicted. And now, instead of uh, being on death row, will serve the rest of his sentence with his life, I guess. He, he's, he's serving a life sentence now. At his trial, in his defense, the, his defense team had argued that Lacey had been kidnapped by strangers who dumped her body in the San Francisco Bay to frame Peterson. I suppose the jury was not convinced of that. So Scott Peterson continues to remain in prison. The Elizabeth Holmes trial, that's still going on. (laughs) Like I said last week, that's going to linger on a bit longer. But it looks like Wednesday, today, the uh, defense finally arrested in that case. Now we'll go to closing arguments, and who knows how long that'll take. It's been a three-month trial, a lot of evidence to review. Those closings might take at least two days, and then they'll give it to the jury. The jury might take forever to go over three months of evidence, so she's going to have to wait before she figures out if she may... Spent a lot of time in prison. Elizabeth Holmes is, of course, the founder of Theranos, a company that promised to have technology that could do several hundred blood tests from just a couple of drops of blood. And she's now charged with defrauding a lot of people out of a lot of money. It is probably one of the biggest fraud trials in American history. I read this news story, actually. I did the thing where I read this story and I forgot to save it. Normally, I like to read stories 
or sorry, normally I like to save stories so I can quote them and reference them during the show, but I just completely didn't do that. But it was about how there are a lot of people at the federal courthouse in San Jose who are just just want to be there for the trial. Like the courtroom gets packed and there was a lot of people waiting outside. And this reporter talked to a lot of people that have been driving from like an hour away, 40 minutes away or whatever, every day to catch up with the proceedings. So a lot of interest in this case and a lot of interest in her, I think. I think, you know, she was a young woman, the youngest supposed self-made billionaire, youngest female self-made billionaire, something like that. Maybe not so much anymore. She's broken out because the company's not worth anything right now. But uh, yeah, so it seems to be a lot, big following around her, a lot of interest in the case. And uh, it was pretty interesting. That's all I could say about it because I didn't save it like an idiot. <laughs> all right, guys, that is about all for this week. Share this podcast with your friends. Share it with your enemies. Help me spread the word of Crime and Court USA. Check out the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Crime and Court USA. Throw me a few bucks a month if you can, but if not, you know I just appreciate you guys listening to the show. You can also follow the show on Facebook, on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram at Moondog88. We're all over social media, man. But anyways, I will catch you guys next week. Until next time, my name is Mundo, and I'm out. Peace.